Now, I bring five with me every week, so I don't have a whole lot of, uh, uh, I'm just thankful. (laughs) I'm thankful to the body that at least a few hours out of the week, my children can receive from more than just myself and my wife. And it's the body. It's you all that produce. Now, I want you to know that's a, that's a, uh, I don't take that lightly. Because when I start to think about my children, I start to think about more than just where are we going to go today and what are we going to do today? I'm thinking about the years, the investment, the future. Now, granted, if I get in, if we, if my wife and I get in the car and leave the house, they're probably going to be in the car with us. So they're going to go wherever we go. I mean, either that or we forgot one or two, and I don't want to go down that road. But it, Sister Hardy, it happens. <laughs> I'm just telling you, if any of those teachers feel like staying an extra few hours after church, you'll find out how fast it happens. <laughs> But I, as a parent, we know we have the responsibility of choosing not only what is best for us. Who else has who never been married in this room? If you've never been married, only a couple left. Lord, have mercy. So those of you that have never been married, you, you, right now you're, you just pretty much think about what's best for you. You think about what am I supposed to do with my time today? How can I be productive and responsible with my time today? And if the Lord wills and you find yourself married in the future, you realize it's not just about you anymore. Now you're thinking about what's best for us. What's best for them, usually, because you find out quickly. I'm not, I'm not trying to talk about marriage. I'm not trying to talk about parenting. But you find out pretty quickly that what's best for your partner oftentimes is going to be what's best for you, too. And if you are so strong-headed that you haven't figured that out yet, then you don't know what's best for you. <laughs> but then the children start to come along, and all of a sudden, it's not even what's best for us anymore our spouses it's really what's best for them and that is a that is a weight of responsibility and so when i say that i'm thankful for this body because i get to bring my children here i really am because i am acknowledging i think this is good for them i i know this is good for them i know this is what's needed for them Everybody put your hand on your chest and say, I play a part in that. Because you do. If there was one person here that I didn't feel like I wanted my kids around, I'd have to think some stuff over. And so you do. We all do. We play a part in that. Amen? I better give this microphone to Elder before I get in trouble. (laughs) Elder Hart. Amen thankful for the body of Christ, aren't you? Amen. I love the body of Christ. And thankful that he saw fit to place each of us in it. 
Amen. I'd hate to think about the alternative. Amen. I, um, you can get your Bible. We're going to go to the book of Genesis here in a second. But I, um, there was something coursing through my spirit as we were singing that song. You are good all the time and your love endures forever. Right? Know that song? I, um, I'm, see, I can't. Some of you have heard this before. My mom, when my mom would sing, my mom only sang at one level. Right? My mom never sang quietly. And um, when she sang, it was always with everything she had. It was like whether she was singing in the house, washing dishes, or whether she was singing in church, or and whether she was, if she was singing at home or in the church or in the car, she was always singing songs to the Lord. And so it was always at the and so I grew up that way, so I, I've never been good at not singing with... So those, those young ladies that sit right over here behind my wife, they just have to deal with me. I don't know if it hinders their worship or helps their worship on Sundays when they're sitting there, but uh, I was blessed by Sister Mariah worshiping the Lord today and the Spirit of God moving on her, touched my heart. And, but I just can't... And I'm not picking on you. Don't misunderstand me today. I'm not picking on you. Please don't don't read this wrong. But I just can't sing like this. You are good all the time. Your love endures forever. I can't do that. Because I'm not singing for you. You probably figured that out. Everybody said, thank God. I'm singing to him. And... When I, when I start, talk, could you imagine if I was talking to my wife and I said, I love you, babe. Thanks for dinner. Sound like Eeyore. <laughs> There's praise that comes out. The scripture says, let everything that hath breath. Praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. And so the scripture tells us that we enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And we enter into his courts with praise. It says, be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord, he is good. And his mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. See, I just get talking about it. I can't just talk song. There's something in my spirit. See, maybe you haven't been where I've been. You just give it time. Keep following after him. Keep pursuing him. And what happens is when I start singing songs like that, you are good all the time. And there's something that begins moving in my spirit when I'm worshiping him. That I can't just do it quiet and soft and gentle and And I'm not trying to get you to 
yell or scream. You understand. I'm not trying to cheerlead. Or, that's why we're doing this after you're already sitting down. But we must understand when we come together and we're worshiping and praising the Lord, this is not to entertain ourselves. It's not to pump us up or say, well, I went to church and I sang a song and I did that. No, no, no. God, you are good. Oh, and I'm, what am I doing? I'm entering into His gates and into His courts. And I'm thankful to Him and I'm blessing His name. And there's something that begins to happen. Because the scripture says clearly that the Lord inhabits the praises of Israel or his people. And when we begin to lift him up, we begin to magnify him, we begin to praise him. You ever notice how, man, I start feeling something. What is that? That's the presence of God beginning to manifest himself. Why is that happening? Because we begin to praise. And he's obligated to his word. And his word says that where there's praise, he dwells. Amen? I was sitting having lunch with my wife and son yesterday at this Mexican restaurant. Thank you guys for the gift cards you gave us, by the way. That's what we used yesterday. And uh, we were sitting there. And there was a, a basketball game on the screen back behind us. And it was uh, Kentucky and Kansas. If you know about college basketball, then you know, that's probably a pretty big rivalry there. And It was just at the beginning. And uh, Kansas took off to a lead. I wasn't watching the game, but I, it was there. And I saw every once in a while I'd see the score and we'd talk more. And I realized, man, Kentucky might be in trouble. Well, it just took a glance at the screen to realize they were in Kentucky. So it wasn't real good for the folks there at the moment but apparently Kentucky started mounting a comeback and I couldn't hear any of it but I was watching those people but then also they were going crazy they were cheering on they believed in their team and they were expressing their belief they were expressing their belief some of y'all, I wouldn't want to take you to a game with me. You don't have any. I'm just kidding. When we praise and worship, it's not about how loud or how demonstrative. Don't misunderstand me this morning, all right? But it's also not a time where we need to try to reserve ourselves and pull back. There should be something in our spirit that's reaching out to its maker. And when you begin to do that, he responds to that. Why do we lift our hands? I know that's an Old Testament instruction. But we lift our hands. There's several reasons. It's surrender to him. It's reaching to him. It's honoring him. If you look at the Old Testament pattern, the uh, Hebrews, they would start when they would come to the temple of worship and they would start on their knees and on their face in worship. The word worship is to be prostrate on your face in the Old Testament. So they would many times would start laying down on their face with their hands out towards the Lord. And then they would come into like a. Sorry, I can't do it in the air here. They would come like from laying down. They would come like into a crouch position like this with their hands forward. And then they would begin to lift up and you would see them rock like this. They were lifting praises to the Lord. And then at some point they would stand up on their feet and they would continue lifting their hand. And this could take some time. 
But what were they doing? They were starting in a place of humility, worship, prostrate before the Lord. Then they would begin to lift their head. Then they would begin to lift their hands. And they would continue to do it until they're... And they were lifting like this, lifting up the name, exalting the Lord to where at one point, finally in their worship, they would turn their hands inward. As a sign, they were now ready to receive whatever the Lord had for them. Worship is more than just some Sunday morning ritual. God forbid it ever becomes that. It is about, as Brother Flowers shared... The king. The king. What a privilege to worship the king with you this morning. I feel his presence in a great way. Amen. Amen. Praise God. The book of Genesis. We are going to move today through the scriptures. And uh, we're going to move quickly. I'm so thankful for Brother Jeremiah and his fast fingers on that keyboard back there. That. Amen. Genesis chapter number 1, I think is where I want to start. That's not in any notes I've got, but I just think maybe that's where I want to go first. Genesis chapter 1. That's an easy one for us all to find, huh? We know that the first chapter is the book of creation. Of course, we've been reading that this month. Let's look at verse number 11. And talk, I want us to see some principles in the word of God today. And the love of God for us. Genesis 1 and verse 11. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed. Everybody say seed. And the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed, everybody say seed, is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. There is a principle, we've touched on this before, established there in all of creation. You start looking at the different days of creation, you can find a principle in each day. We're not going to take the time today. Uh, You can go to Genesis 1 and 29. He talks again about seed. And we see this principle that once the Lord created a seed, that all of life necessary to continue reproducing was in that seed. We have a valley full of fruit trees today that are a result of what we just read in Genesis 1. You understand that? That's how powerful the principle of the Word of God is. And so the Lord did this and He used seed in a very powerful way throughout the rest of time and continues to. And I want to talk to us about that a little bit this morning as we journey swiftly through the Scriptures. I woke up with this in my spirit. We, the Lord has always desired relationship with mankind. It's always been his plan, his desire, his purpose to have a relationship with you, to bring you into relationship with him so that you and I as individuals can with God fulfill his purpose. 
It's his desire. There's not a one of us in this room that he doesn't desire an intimate personal relationship with you so that his purpose can be fulfilled in, with, and through you. And here's a big shocker, I know. It's not so you can come to church on Sunday and Wednesday and say that you came to church faithfully through your life. It's far bigger than that. And so we see the way the Lord deals with mankind. And so we find in the beginning Him dealing with mankind. He places Him in the garden, right? We know this story where He sets man in the garden of Eden. They're innocent. They've never sinned. He gives them some guidelines by His Word. Says this is how you need to live. Don't touch this tree. Don't eat of this tree. If you do, you're going to die. This is the Word of God. Now obey it. And if you do, you'll live. That's a principle. And so there it is. And we call, we call these periods of time throughout Scripture where the Lord deals with His people or his, with His creation in a certain way. He deals with them a certain way, gives them instruction on how to live and have right relationship with Him, and lets them know the consequences if they don't hear and obey His Word. And we call these periods of time throughout Scripture dispensations. A dispensation of time. And it's the God deals with His people in a different way in each dispensation of time. But however He deals with them, He never just says, it's a surprise, you got to figure it out. He's always very clear about His instruction, very clear about how He's reaching, very clear about how He's giving us opportunity to be in relationship with Him. He's not vague, He doesn't make it hard to understand. He's always clear about that. But He's also always very clear about if I choose not to obey His Word that He gives me and instructs me in, that there will be consequences, or in Scripture it's called judgment. Every dispensation. And so the first dispensation, we find Adam and Eve in the garden. And uh, Genesis 3 and 15, we of course know the story in Adam and Eve. They were there. They weren't supposed to do this one thing. The word of God to them was, don't eat of this tree. If you do, you'll die. Well, they ate of the tree. They violated the word of God that was keeping them in right relationship with God. And so judgment came upon them. The judgment was they were expelled from the garden. Right? What God had prepared for them and ordained for them because they violated the word of God. God was obligated to his word, so he expelled them from the garden. But watch what he does at this time. Genesis 3 and 15. And the Lord said to Adam and Eve, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, speaking to the serpent, and between your seed... Ah, there's that word again. And her seed, the seed of the enemy and the seed of the woman. And it, what is it talking about? Seed, the seed of the woman. You with me? It, the seed of the woman, shall bruise thy head. The head of who? The serpent, right? It shall bruise thy head. The seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. And thou, the serpent, shall bruise. Notice it doesn't say its heel. Now it gives the seed a personal pronoun, right? Is that the right English thing? It and thou, the serpent, shall bruise his heel. This is the word of the Lord at the expelling of Adam and Eve from the garden. 
He's already establishing something. He's already told us in Genesis 1 about the seed that's going to continue to produce seed after its kind and yield seed after its kind. And then we see there's reference to seed in regard to a man and a woman and a promise being given at the time of judgment. And the promise at the time of judgment is, while I'm expelling you from the garden, I'm going to deal with this that caused you to fail. That you yielded to. This temptation that caused you to sin and violate my word. I'm not going to just leave you out there to be destroyed. I'm making a plan. Here's my plan. At some point along the way, there's going to be a seed of a woman. And the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent. It's a promise in Genesis. This is the dispensation of innocence. Where they're kicked out of the garden, the judgment of God. Skip down to verse number 21, and I want you to see what the Lord did after he judged them. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothed them. This was the close of a dispensation, the dispensation we call innocence. The reason we call it innocence is because Adam and Eve, when they were put in the garden, they were the only ones that were born without sin. They were placed there in innocence. They tried to cover themselves once they were no longer innocent. They tried to cover themselves, as we know, with fig leaves. That did not work because anything man makes never works to cover. So what did God do? God made coats of skin. Now you and I read that and we understand if he made coats of skin, that meant animals had to die for him to create those coats of skin. Blood had to be shed for him to create something to cover them. Man did not make something to cover themselves. Only God did. It's a principle in the word. You and I can never create something that will cover ourselves when we fall and fail. The only hope is that God will make something to cover our sin. And so we see this established at the end of innocence. God covers them with coats of skin. Fast forward to Genesis chapter 6, the next dispensation we move into, because what's happened now that man has eaten of the tree, now we know, remember the scripture says, the Lord says, now that they've eaten of the tree, they'll be able to discern the difference between knowledge of good and evil. Before, man didn't know good and evil. All man knew was God, pure, unhindered relationship with God that was pure, that was no sin. Can you imagine that? Such a perfect relationship with God without sin in innocence with just the purity of God and man in a single relationship. But man violated God's word. God judged man. God clothed. We moved into a different dispensation. Now man knows good and evil. This is called the dispensation of conscience. Now man lives according to his knowledge of good and evil. Now, the Lord builds on these dispensations because you and I, when we're born today, while we're not in the dispensation of conscience anymore, every one of us have a conscience. Right? My child, when they were little, they would do something wrong. I know that's hard to believe. They would do something wrong. If you're a parent and you have kids, you can relate to this. They were little and they'd do something wrong and they'd look at me. They knew what they were doing was wrong. I didn't tell them, hey, you shouldn't have done that. I mean, now I had to teach them right and wrong in other areas, right? But there were some things they did. They just knew it was wrong. How did they know? Because they were born with conscience. That was something God gave us. All right? I always love it when somebody acts like they don't have a conscience. 
Oh, I didn't know. Nobody told me. Right? We call that naivety. Right? They're playing naive. They know, right? Because we have a conscience. And so this is this dispensation that we moved into after innocence. So God is allowing man to govern himself based on what he chooses as right and wrong. How do you think that worked out? Not real well, right? Because what did man do? Genesis chapter 6, verse number 3. Don't worry, we're not going to read the whole Bible this morning. But we need to see some things here in principle. Genesis 6 and 3. And the Lord said, these are troubling words. My spirit, this is God speaking. My spirit shall not always strive with man. Let that sink into your spirit. The word of the Lord is true. And he was very clear in this passage. My spirit will not always strive with man. For that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now, skip down to verse number 5. And God saw... Now, this is man getting to live according to his conscience. Man getting to choose between wrong and right. God saw the wickedness of man. It was great in the earth. And every imagination... Everybody say imagination. Every imagination of the thoughts. Everybody say thoughts. Of his heart. Everybody say heart. It was only evil continually. The Lord allowed man to choose between good and evil. And by the time we get to the sixth chapter of the book. When man gets to choose on his own. His imagination. The thoughts in his heart. Are only evil. I mean it wasn't like they were 90% evil and some good. They were just only evil continually. Because that's what happens to us when we're left to ourselves. And so in this dispensation of conscience, what does the Lord do? Verse number 6, watch what the Lord said about this. It repented the Lord that He had made man on the earth. Can you imagine God being so disappointed in His creation that He is repenting that He created it? That's what happened when man was left to choose between good and evil on his own. He repented, He made man, and it grieved Him, God, in His heart. It's quite the condition of man, isn't it? So what did the Lord do? So the Lord, verse number 8, skip down there. The Lord said, I'm going to destroy the whole earth. Start over. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. See this principle of being saved by grace through faith? Give you a newsflash. That's not just New Testament. Men throughout time, the only way men have ever been saved is by grace through faith. It's the only way. Noah found grace, and because he had grace, he heard the word of the Lord. The Lord made a way out of this dispensation of conscience without judgment, because judgment was coming. 
But he warned man and he gave Noah a plan. And you can read it in Hebrews chapter 11. The scripture says, by faith, Noah prepared an ark. Where did he get the idea to build the ark from? The Lord. That wasn't Noah's plan to save himself. That was God's plan to save mankind. It was the Lord making a way out of a dispensation of time. God saw man's need of salvation. He gave His Word. His Word was given to a man that found grace in his eyes. The Word was build an ark. Build it like this, this size, this length, this width, one window, one door. Pitch it inside, pitch it outside. Here's all the plans. Now Noah, build it. Noah heard the word of the Lord. Noah obeyed the word of the Lord. And then Noah began to preach. The scripture says he was a preacher of righteousness. That's right living, right relationship with God. Noah preached for 120 years while he was building. What is that? Brother Flowers talked about it last week. That's the mercy of God for 120 years. Trying to give man a way to get to God. Giving man an opportunity to respond, to obey the word of God in the dispensation in which man lives. And so we find all the earth, God is repenting because He made them. But still yet, He's giving them time to turn to Him. How's He giving them time? Say, if there was only a sign, there was a sign, there's a man building something they'd never seen before. And when they go to see it and figure out what's going on, the man's saying, it's going to rain. God's going to destroy the earth. If you'll get your family and you'll get in this boat, you'll be saved. If you'll get your family and you'll get here in this ark, you won't die. But it's the only way. God's going to destroy the earth. And he was preaching righteousness. And you would think God who is righteous and His love, God who knows no end, whose love knows no end, God whose mercy endures forever, God wouldn't destroy all of man. Oh, He wouldn't do it without giving them an opportunity to get in right relationship. And in every dispensation, we see the mercies of God reaching. We see the long-suffering of God towards mankind. One writer said, I believe it was Peter that said, the long-suffering of God is salvation to us. What does that mean? It means if it wasn't for the long-suffering of God and we got what we deserved, He'd just destroy us and we'd never be saved. But His long-suffering becomes our salvation. And that's what we see in Noah and the building of the ark. 120 years of the long-suffering of God declaring the word of the Lord. How do I rescue myself? I can't, but God has made a way. What's the way? If you're in the ark, you're going to be saved. 120 years in the dispensation of conscience. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives. Eight people responded to the word of the Lord. Eight people. And the Lord destroyed every other one. Was God unjust? Was God unfair? Did God not love anymore? Oh, He loved. He was fair. He was just. He was 120 years of fair and just and love. And man, just like in the garden, went away from God. God gave him a word to obey and believe and gave him a way of escape. 1 Peter 3, verse 18. Watch this. 1 Peter 3, 18. It's an interesting passage of Scripture. Very powerful. It ties back here. And we see this tie. 
For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. The just, that's Christ. For the unjust, that's us. That he that's, might bring us to God. See that restoring of relationship, that bringing into right relationship. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, that's Christ, but quickened by the Spirit, that's Christ resurrected from the dead, verse 19. By which also he went, that's Christ, and preached unto the spirits in prison, verse 20, which sometime were disobedient. When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. That's what we were just talking about. Waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Verse 21. The like figure, or this example, in the same way, whereunto even baptism doth now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but notice what he says, the answer of a good conscience toward God. What is, what is Peter pointing back to? He's pointing back to that dispensation of conscience. And he's saying, the Lord made an ark that was a way to get out of that dispensation of conscience to salvation. The like manner, baptism is also, it's not a putting away of the flesh. Baptism is an answer of a good conscience. He's referencing that dispensation toward God. And it's completed by the resurrection of Christ Jesus. So we move, we see the flood. And after the flood, men move into this dispensation called government. Noah builds an, an altar when he comes off. The Lord makes a covenant with Noah and his seed. You can read about that. And we, what is happening here? This is so important. From each dispensation to the next, we see the Lord preserving the seed. If we had three or four hours this morning, we'd walk through all of it. And you guys all said, thank God we're not doing that. But you would see the Lord preserving the seed. Why is He preserving seed from dispensation to dispensation and generation to generation? I'll tell you why. It's because of those first verses we read in Genesis where He said, Thy seed will bruise the head of the serpent. And so what is He doing from every dispensation? He's preserving that seed of that promise that He made to Adam and Eve. And so he can't let that seed of a promise die. And so that seed went to Noah and his family when they were saved on the ark. Why did he preserve that family? Because he made a promise to Adam and Eve about a seed brooding in the head of a serpent. And if all the earth was destroyed, his promise would have died and he would not have been God. And so he preserved Noah and his family for the preserving of a seed of a promise that one day the seed of a woman is going to bruise the head of that serpent. It's going to speak of once and for all. So Noah preserves the seed and we find that Noah moves after the conscience. We move into the dispensation of government. And the government is based on the covenant that God makes with Noah. And without taking all the time, you can read it. He begins to preserve the seed through Shem and Japheth. Ham was also one of the sons, but Ham was uh, vile in his ways towards his father, so the Lord cursed Ham. And so we have Shem and Japheth, and the seed is preserved through their generations. And we move from there, man starting to do it on his own, under his own government, thinking, hey, we can do this. And by the way, here's your warning. If you ever think human government is the way that God's going to save us, just read Genesis chapter 11. Human government is not the answer. Not God's plan. 
So you can argue and debate about Republican, Democrat, independent, liberal, whatever you want to argue and fight about and name all that. Guess what? It doesn't even matter in terms of how God is going to work with his people and his church. Let me just let you in on a little newsflash here. There's not a person in government that would be there were it not for God allowing them to be there. And so you better believe God's working his plan. You say, well, it must be the plan of Satan. It's not the plan of God. I'd beg to differ. The scripture is very clear in the book of Proverbs. The Lord holds the hearts of kings in his hand to turn them whithersoever he will, the scripture says. And you search that scripture out, it's very plain and certain. That word king there speaks of leaders, can even speak of leaders of nations. And the scripture is certain. The Lord holds their hearts in his hand to turn them whithersoever he will. Human government is under God's authority, I promise you. Because there's no power given but by God. The powers that be, they are ordained of God, the scripture says. That was a side note. So this is the dispensation of government. Government doesn't work. What does the Lord do? He says man's going to have success in their government and they're going to think they can do it. So what does the Lord do? He sends judgment to dispel the human government. He sends the confusion of their tongues. We call that the Tower of Babel. They were building this tower. The Lord says, I'm judging this right now. I'm going to make them all speak different languages so they'll scatter. And the Tower of Babel happens. Their language is confused and they scatter. And that's the end of the dispensation of government. But we see, if you read chapter 11 of Genesis, you see that it finishes with the Lord going through and the scripture going through all the generations of Noah's son. What is he doing that for? Why are all those generations named like that? I'll tell you why. The scripture is showing the preserving of the seed is still taking place. The preserving of the seed is still taking place. Adam, Eve, the promise I made you in the garden about bruising, I have not forgotten. The serpent will not win. I will bruise the serpent's head by the seed of the woman. And so I'm giving a pattern throughout scripture. I'm showing you throughout the book. Don't you doubt it for a moment. Watch Shem. Watch Jab. Watch Noah. Watch back. Look forward. See the seed continuing to be preserved. So we move from government into a dispensation we call promise. Dispensation of promise. God calls Abram. Later becomes Abraham. Abraham receives a promise from the Lord. Remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Abraham. Remember what the promise was? In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. It was a promise tied all the way back to Genesis chapter number one. The preserving of the seed, the bruising of the head of the serpent. And so we see, Abraham, this is how I'm going to do it in thy seed. All nations are going to be blessed. And so the promise came to Abraham. It was a promise of doing something with his seed. And it's a continual pattern from dispensation to dispensation that says, Mankind, my whole desire is to bring you into relationship with me. To bring you into right relationship and use your life with me. It's not about coming to church and just saying, I went to church. It's about a personal, real, intimate relationship with God. And so he preserves seed generation after generation after generation 
only to make a way so you and I could get in relationship with Him. That's how much He loves us. So He preserves seed. He makes the promise to Abraham. Of course, Abraham's seed makes a mess of it in the natural. We're just good at that. Makes a mess of it. So what does the Lord do? He takes him into bondage. Judgment comes. Takes him into bondage in Egypt. We know the story. He brings them out. Genesis 49 verse 9. Watch this. In case you're getting nervous and you're counting. We're on the fourth dispensation. We're only going to go to the sixth one. So we're almost there. This is important so we understand how much God loves us. And how much he has planned, designed, and destined to save us if we'll respond accordingly to his word. Genesis 49, verse number 9. This is an interesting passage of scripture if you read Genesis 49, because here we find Jacob. And what Jacob is doing in this passage of scripture in Genesis 49 is he's blessing his 12 sons. Really, his 11 sons and his two grandsons. So there's 13 because he gives a double blessing to Joseph because of Ephraim and Manasseh. But read Genesis chapter 49. And this whole chapter is the Lord through Jacob. Jacob blessing his sons, each, each son, each house. He's, he's proclaiming a blessing on each one as they're coming before him from the oldest to the youngest. And we get to Judah here. His son Judah in verse 9. And this is what Jacob declares. Hear the words. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion. And as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? Now you guys are going, man, I don't even know what we're talking about. Just hang on for a minute. Verse number 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. What do you think of when you think of a scepter? A what? A king. Right? You guys know what a scepter is, right? Like the king's scepter, like they would reach out and... Right? That's what it is. Jacob is declaring to Judah, his son, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. In other words, kingship. Because it's the king that holds the scepter. Kingship is going to be from Judah. It's going to come out of the tribe or Judah's family. Seed. Okay? How far back was it in the mind of God to rescue you and I? This far back. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, unto Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Now, if you're still not clear, let's look at the next verse, and it'll just sort of open all of it up. Binding his foal unto the vine, and his ass's colt unto the choice vine. That should probably start making you think about some other scriptures when you hear somebody talking about the coal, or the foal and the colt of an ass, and binding them to the vine. Well, all you and I have to do, and we won't take the time this morning, but you can go into the New Testament and you can find the Lord Jesus Christ himself telling his disciples before the Passover. 
He says to them, I want you to go into Jerusalem. And there you'll find the colt, the foal of an ass. He'll be tied. It was prophesied in Genesis 49. In a prophecy on Judah's life. All the way back. What is the Lord doing? It is His plan. Why is it our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a lion of the tribe of Judah? Ah, now you're understanding this lion's whelp that we read in verse number 9, aren't you? Because this prophecy upon a son was pointing even further some 40 generations down the road to Jesus Christ as the deliverer and the king that would bring you and I into right relationship with him. And the seed is being preserved through Judah. And so we see again and again and again, see the word of God is so rich and pure that God is determined to make sure his people know I'm preserving the seed that's promised to bruise the head of the serpent. I'm preserving the seed that's going to bring you into relationship with me where it could never be broken by the enemy again. I'm preserving the seed that takes away all authority from the enemy. I'm preserving the seed that gives you dominion over the enemy. I'm preserving the seed that one day my people will never be ashamed. They'll walk in right relationship with me without any fear of the enemy having authority over them. And this is the seed that is promised and brought to us again and again and again from generation to generation and from dispensation to dispensation is preserved. All so you and I could have a pure, right, intimate, deep relationship with God. But man makes a mess of it. So man goes into bondage in Egypt. And the Lord makes a way out. You can read it in Exodus 12. We're not going to read it this morning. But of course the Lord, the way he makes a way out is through Moses. Take a lamb. Everybody take a lamb without blemish. Take the blood from the lamb. Put it on the doorpost. Put it on the side of the door. And at midnight, the death angel is going to pass through Egypt. And when the angel comes through, the Lord says this, when I see the blood... I will pass over you. It's where we get the term Passover from that the Jews celebrate still to this day. And so it is the blood of a lamb without blemish that we see evidenced here. And the blood of the lamb preserves the seed. And by it, the Lord brings Israel out of the dispensation of promise into the wilderness through the Red Sea. And we enter into the dispensation of the law. The laws given by Moses, by God, through Moses. And surprise, surprise, Israel doesn't keep the law. Well, in innocence, man couldn't make it work, so God had to make a plan to cover them with blood from a lamb, or blood from whatever skins he used to cover them. In the dispensation of conscience... Man couldn't make it work, so God had to send a flood to destroy them all, but he had a plan to rescue them through an ark. In the dispensation of government, man couldn't make it work, so he sent something to confuse their language, but God had a plan. He preserved a seed through Shem and Japheth. And then in the dispensation of promise, even with all he told Abraham, man still couldn't make it work, and so man ended up in bondage, but God made a way through the blood of a lamb to bring them out and enter them into a different dispensation. Preserving the seed, preserving the seed for relationship with his creation, continuing to preserve seed. 
We have the law. Man breaks the law. They can't live up to it. He tries to give them specific rules. The rules are not there to be followed so much. I mean, they should, but not followed out of the letter of the law, but out of relationship with God. His intent was to bring them into right relationship with Him, and because they were in right relationship, they would follow the law. But man decided, you know what, I'll just follow the law, and that'll make me have a right relationship. Never worked. It never works. And you know what's interesting about these different dispensations? The enemy still tries to use elements of every one of them against us so that we won't live under the dispensation that God has placed us in. Want me to give you real examples? You ever met somebody that no matter how wrong they did, they thought they were innocent? Won't accept responsibility for anything. Just, no, it's somebody else's fault. I'm innocent. Boy, if we ever lived in that time, we live in it now. I didn't, no. Yeah, no responsibility, no. They're, they're deceived, but they're, tr- they're thinking they're in the dispensation of innocence. No, really. They think they're innocent. They're ignorant. I don't mean that in a, I'm, I don't mean that in a derogatory way. They're ignorant. They just don't, un- they don't have understanding. But they believe the enemy has deceived them to thinking they're in innocence. So they don't even realize they're in sin. And the enemy uses the past dispensations to deceive and to keep us from living in the dispensation what God has us so that we'll never get in right relationship with God. So what happens? We see those living in conscience. And you've heard this before. Well, they're a good person. No relationship with God. No moral relationship with God. No love for His Word. They don't believe in God. The Scripture says they say there's no God. They're a fool. But they be- they're a good person. What are they doing? The enemy has deceived them to trust in their own conscience and their own ability to choose good and evil. They don't need a God. They can do this on their own. They can be good by themselves. It's deception. And it's the enemy using the dispensation of conscience. And he's taking that element to try to get them convinced they don't need to be in relationship with God. Then you have government. We watch men who think they can do it under human government. We've already talked about that. So that's a deception of the enemy. And so then we have this dispensation of promise. And we have this dispensation of the law. And in all of these, we see men leaning back on past dispensations rather than trusting in the word of God for where we are. And so we see this probably this dispensation of law more than ever in the church. Because we find, if we're not careful, that we start believing that if I do the right things, then I'll have a right relationship with God. And that's the deception of the enemy so that we'll be held in bondage living under the law. I can't do enough right, and neither can you, to get a right relationship with God. Let me say that again. I can't do enough right... And neither can you to get a right relationship with God. But you know why the enemy wants to think, wants you to think, well, you've got to do right before you can have a relationship with God? Because the enemy knows he can keep you failing. And so you'll just believe his lie that says you can never have a relationship with God because you can't live right. But you know what the Lord says? 
The Lord says, get in relationship with me and I'll help you live right. Under the law, they tried to live the law so they never got the relationship. And many in the church today try to get the law, but they never get the relationship. That's why they don't even know God loves them. They think God's just waiting to smack them over the head with a stick when they goof up. They struggle to receive the love of God. They struggle to receive the righteousness of God. They struggle to live in the peace of God. They don't have the joy of God evidenced in their life. Why? Because they're not really in relationship with God. They've just learned to try to follow all the rules. God's plan, even in the law, was that men would be in right relationship with him. And as a result, they would do the works of the law. That's why he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not keep my commandments if you love me. The enemy uses his deception. Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3. I'm almost done here. Israel breaks the law. As a result, they're put into captivity to different ones, Assyria, Babylon. And ultimately, Jerusalem is destroyed because they broke the law. They had the word of God. They didn't obey the word of God. There's judgment. You see the same pattern through every dispensation of time. They received the word of God. They rejected the word of God. They didn't obey the word of God. They were judged according to the word of God. It's a pattern. Every dispensation, the same thing. Every dispensation, the same thing. You say, well, that, how come it's always the same? Well, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's a God that changes not. And so he gives man an opportunity for salvation. He makes it clear through his word, gives man an opportunity to obey. Man generally rejects God's word, and as a result, man is judged accordingly. But in every dispensation, there's someone where he preserved the seed because of his promise. So we see Israel under the law. God's plan is the blood of the Lamb. They would bring lambs to the high priest. He would sacrifice, offer blood on the altar, go in once a year into the holiest of holies. The Lord, if he accepted the sacrifice, the Shekinah glory would come down where he had received the sacrifice. And we see the plan of God in place where the blood of a lamb would push their sin forward one year. This was God's plan to keep bringing us in relationship with him. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 10, please, Brother Jeremiah. Galatians 3 and 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That scripture just means if you can't keep the whole law, you're cursed. And anybody that's trying to live under the law... You're cursed because there's not a single one of us that's able in our human effort to keep the entire law. I'm glad the verse doesn't stop there. Verse number 11. But that no man, everybody say no man or woman. That word man means mankind. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. He didn't say in the sight of man. He said in the sight of God, no man is justified by the law. It is evident for 
The just shall live by what? Faith. That's why the scripture says you are saved by grace through faith. That's why in every dispensation, those that were saved were saved by grace through faith. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham offered Isaac. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Every dispensation we see by faith, faith that came through grace. It was the grace of God operating that caused their faith to activate. The just shall live by faith, verse number 12. And the law is not of faith. In other words, if I think my relationship with God is based on what I do, I think it's performance, not belief in Him. My confidence is in my ability, not what He's done. The law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. In other words, if I'm trying to live for God under the law, then He'll hold me accountable to the law. And guess what? He's already told us we're cursed if we're trying to do that. Verse 13. Christ, thank you, Jesus, hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Keep going. Why? That the blessing of Abraham, it's the seed. The blessing of Abraham. What was the blessing of Abraham? In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That's you and I, the Gentiles. Why? That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham... And his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one. Notice the word seed, a single word, not a plural word. And to seeds, as of many, but as of one. To thy seed. Who's the seed? Which is Christ. The seed is Christ. What was being preserved from dispensation to dispensation to dispensation to dispensation? It was the seed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it the book of Matthew chapter number 1 starts going from generation to generation to generation to generation? And it says there's 14 generations before David and 14 generations after David. And it's telling us all these lineage. And we're thinking, why do we got to read who begat who and who begat who and so and so begat who? That's so boring. I just want to skip all that. I'll tell you why you got to read it. Because it's the preserving of the seed of the Lord Jesus Christ. From Adam and Eve until the day that he came on the scene in Bethlehem. It was the fulfillment of the word that the seed would bruise the head of the serpent. And he preserved the seed through every generation, through every dispensation of time. As man would make a mess of it, he would always make a way for man to escape, to preserve the seed. And the fulfillment of the promise upon Abraham, that through thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. And the seed of the Lord Jesus Christ came through Abraham. And it came through Judah where we read about already. Go read Matthew chapter 1. You'll all understand all of that. The seed was meant to reconcile you and I unto him. That was the purpose of all of it. Read just a couple more verses. 17. 
And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul. In other words, here's what he just said. The covenant that was confirmed. In case people are going, yeah, but the law, yeah, but the law, yeah, but what about the law? The scripture is saying the law was 430 years later. He made the covenant before the law. 430 years before the law. And that's why he says the law can't disannul it. In other words, the law that came 430 years later can't make the covenant no longer valid. The covenant's still valid. The law isn't, but the covenant still is. One place the writer in Scripture said, because he could swear by no other, he made an oath by himself. Speaking of the Lord. That it should make the promise of none effect. The law can't do that. Verse 18. For if the inheritance be of the law, it's no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Remember the dispensation of promise? That's what we're pointing back to. Verse 19. Wherefore then serveth the law? Or what's the law for then? It was added because of transgressions. Oh man, transgressed, so God gave the law as a way to try to help. But it was only, notice, until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. The law was only there long enough to preserve the seed getting to where it needed to get to. And once the seed passed from generation to generation and the seed had been preserved in order to bring about the birth of Christ, the law was no longer necessary. Its only purpose was to preserve the seed of Christ. It was ordained by angels in the hand of the mediator. Do you understand how much he loves us? That from the beginning of time, He would make a promise to bring a seed to bruise the head of Satan so that Satan could no longer have dominion in your life or mine. And throughout all of time, for thousands of years, he would continue to preserve the seed solely for the purpose of giving you and I victory over Satan and restoring us to right relationship with him. That's what this whole book is about. Preserving the seed. Verse 20. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one. But God is one. Judgment had to come at the end of the law. This we know. Stand with me today. Judgment had to come at the end of the law. Man violated the law. So we know at the end of every dispensation, judgment has to come. So, at the end of the dispensation of the law, some 33 and a half years before the dispensation of the law ended, the seed comes on the scene again. We find a child born in a manger in Bethlehem. 
It is the seed of Abraham. He is the seed of the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's a seed that comes through Noah. You can follow the seed. And in Bethlehem, we see that seed come to life through Mary. It's another study of the scripture. You can search it out. Mary's the seed of the woman. Joseph's the seed of a king. And Jesus Christ is born. The seed is preserved. But it's still the dispensation of the law. We're still under the law. And so judgment has to happen because man has violated the law of God. Just as sure as the flood had to destroy the earth because man violated the word of God. God has to judge man because he's violated his law in this dispensation of time. So according to the law, every man on the earth should probably die. Do you understand this? At this time, at this period of time, according to the law, the only way to bring righteous judgment is that every man alive on the earth should be destroyed. Because they violated the law. And so, you want to talk about mercy? The Lord Jesus says, I have a plan. It's the seed bruising the head of the serpent. I'll take all the sin of all mankind that's violated the law. And I'll take all their sin on myself. And I'll put my righteousness on them. And therefore, I'll receive the judgment of the law. And they'll be made righteous. That's what happened. He who knew no sin, the scripture says. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so at Calvary, we find the judgment for the dispensation of the law. Because judgment has to take place in every dispensation. There's no way to just skip over judgment. And so the Lord Jesus Christ took the judgment of an entire dispensation upon himself. And he died so that we could live. But there's a problem. If he died and stayed in the tomb. The seed is not preserved. Because he had no children. I don't know what this does for you. But it does something in my spirit. And so on the third day he rose again from the grave. And about 47 days later, on the day of Pentecost, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And what happened? We call that they were born again. 
Born again of what? Of corruptible seed? Oh no, they were born again of incorruptible seed. Because they were born of that which quickened the life of Christ and raised Him from the dead. The scripture says, if that same spirit dwelleth in you, it will also quicken your mortal bodies. And so when you and I are baptized with the gift of the Holy Ghost, all of a sudden there is a preserving of the seed that comes into our life. And the promise of the Word of God from Genesis is made real in my life and yours. And from one dispensation of innocence all the way through conscience and government and promise and law, we find ultimately the entering in at Calvary and the resurrection. We move from the law into a dispensation called grace. Grace that says what I could not do myself, I now do by the work of His Spirit dwelling in me. That's why the Holy Ghost is called the Spirit of Grace. And we live in this dispensation of the grace of God. And the grace of God, when it fills our life, preserves the seed of God. And one day He's gathering the seed together. As a child of God filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost... You have the authority of God in your life to bruise the head of the serpent. That's why Jesus Christ said of His church, He's put all things under His feet. That's why you should be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. When the Lord made the promise to Abraham all the way back in the dispensation of promise, He said, as the sand of the seashore and as the stars of heaven, I'll multiply your seed. We understand from that prophetic word to Abraham clearly this. The sand of the sea is the natural. It's earthly. That's Abraham's seed through Ishmael. But he said, I'll multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven. That's not of the earth. That's beyond the earth. That's the supernatural. That's the children of God filled with the spirit of God. We are the preserving of that seed. That's how much he loves you. This isn't just some old book filled with neat stories. This book is his plan to reconcile you and I to himself. So that we have a personal relationship with God. And his seed is preserved through us. I'm really trying to be done. John chapter 1. Verse number one. In the beginning was the word. <laughs> In the beginning. That's how far back he went. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. Skip down to verse 14. And the word or God was made flesh. And dwelt among us. That's the seed. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father. Watch what he was full of. Grace. And truth. Verse 15. John bare witness of him and cried saying this was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me. For he was before me. Verse 16. And of his fullness have all we received. And grace for grace. But watch verse 17. For the law. Was given by Moses. But grace. And truth. Came by Jesus Christ. 
you and I now live in the dispensation of grace. What does that mean? It means we have the word of God. And we have to obey the word of God because there's a pattern. We took all this time today talking about a pattern. God shows man the way. God gives the word of God to obey. Man obeys in faith through grace. And man is saved from judgment. If man does not receive and obey the word of God, man is judged according to the word of God. And so in this dispensation of grace, we have a word from the Lord. His word is clear. First Corinthians, you don't have to go there. But 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, tell us what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died, he was buried, he rose again the third day, all according to Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15. That's the plan of salvation in the dispensation of grace. So how do I apply the plan of salvation in the dispensation of grace? Death is repentance. Burial, we are buried with Christ through baptism. When we're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, we take on his name. If you repent... And you're baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the indwelling Spirit of God. It's the preserving of the seed, which is the reason he gave a way out of every dispensation. If I don't repent and I'm not baptized and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost then I'll be judged according to the word at the end of this dispensation. You say that doesn't make sense. Then you haven't been listening. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His pattern is always the same. He gives us his word. We choose to obey. We're saved by the grace of God through faith. What is faith? Belief in his word and acting therein. Would you talk to the Lord with me right now? In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father, the quickening of our understanding by the Word of God and the Spirit of God this morning. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for the work of your spirit. We thank you for the operating of your spirit. We thank you for the quickening of your spirit. I pray an arresting of our attention by the word of God and the spirit of God. That we would hear what your spirit says, Lord. Let blindness and clouds of our mind be removed. Let our understanding be enlightened and let our heart respond to the pleading and beckoning of your spirit. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we know according to your word that your spirit will not always strive with man. And so, dear God, give us a heart to respond to that which you would ask of us. To bring us into right relationship with you and to preserve seed of you in this dispensation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.
We hold to you. We trust in you. We reach to you this morning. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, we need you, Father. We need you, Father. We cannot do it in our own plan, in our own effort, in our own ability. We need the working of your plan, your purpose in our lives. We yield to you. We acknowledge our need of you, Father. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I pray, make us acutely aware of our need of you. Father, open our understanding of our need of you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let the love of God draw us near to your side. In Jesus' name, I pray. In Jesus' name, I pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you for your patient attention today. I trust the word of God to have its full and complete work in us. Amen. I want his word to have his work in us. It's important that we have understanding. He gives understanding. Amen. Praise God. God bless you today. There's food downstairs, I'm told. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.